So, Mayo, did you hear the absolutely fantastic thing that happened to me earlier this week? Ooh. Which, which, uh, which fantastic thing? Because you have so many in your life. Oh, yeah. There, it's been such a great week. But so on Tuesday, the Wordle got it yes. in one try. One yes. try, Mayo. Ignore Thanksgiving, right? Ignore whatever July, <laughs> whatever your Thanksgiving. holiday was. Yeah. Yeah, Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Not a November one. Enjoy your independence, blah, 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 blah. But what matters is you got the word in one. 700 something days in the making. I've been using the same starting word and it was finally. Can, can we spoil the, the word from three days ago? I think ago so. Now? It was, it was irate. Irate. Which, yeah. I got it. I got it in two. I got it in two. That's not too bad, but it's not one. No, so. it's not. But then it was funny. The next day, irate as a starting word got you like nothing. <laughs> so. So do you do, this, you do the same word every single day? Every day. See, I just mix it up, do different stuff. I think there's like a running list of the best starting words, and irate is was once considered the best, but people have found better ones. But I've stuck with it. Yeah, but I go pretty for, much for I, this I go exact for the challenge. You know, we try and I try and do it, so I do a different starting word every single time, so we don't repeat. And then I play with somebody else, and then they do the same starting word. But like, yeah. Oh, like we're obviously playing suboptimally because you can obviously get faster generally if you're using ones with vowels and stuff. But have you played the new New York Times game, the Connections? I have. I have not. I play Wordle, Quirdle, and then Quirdle says a sequence mode. I don't know if you played Quirdle before. What's Quirdle? It's Wordle, but you do four at once. Oh, it's actually okay. good. It's actually good. I liked the the Hurdle game, the which Spotify, Spotify bought, and you had to like shut down. Yeah. <laughs> You have to like identify the songs yeah, in yeah, yeah. X number of seconds. That was a good one. But now that Apple News has crosswords, maybe Apple's going to Sherlock Hurdle or Wordle or something. I'd be down for that. I'd be down. I know it's unpopular, but I wish Wordle was just an app on a home screen. Yeah. Instead of having to go to a website. Like. And they still don't own Wordle.com. And, 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 the, and the New York Times are starting to like encroach on the, on the pureness of it because uh, now you get like an ad. And it's like, yep. have you tried this game? Subscribe here, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's lost some of the purity of when it was just the grid of squares and no commercialization tool. But you don't even have Apple News crosswords in the UK, not, right? at least right now. They might activate it before launch, but at least right now they do not. However, I wouldn't hold my breath because they also haven't activated Apple News Audio, which has been a feature on the US for like oh, three yeah. years. and. They won't bring it to the UK because, I don't know, they think we can't hear American accents for some reason. <laughs> but then Apple TV Plus, like 90% of the shows are all just actors from America with American accents and they perfectly happily show that. And I perfectly happily enjoy watching them. So I wish they'd bring... I'd actually listen to a few of the audio stuff because I, I listen to the um, Apple News Today podcast thing they do. Oh, yeah. That's actually decent. I listen to that. Um, but what's really annoying is because they repeat the same audio in the podcast app as in the news app. At the end of the podcast, uh, they're like, okay. and keep listening for an audio story about blur, and they like say a headline, but then obviously, yeah. because it's just the podcast app, it just ends. Like you can't actually hear it. So they can't invest in just trimming that ending off. They can't. But I will say there is actually an upgrade that I'm quite interested in coming to Apple Podcasts with seventeen, and uh, they are bringing Apple Music Radio shebang, like all the Apple Music Radio programs, yeah. uh-huh. which used to be only available through the Apple Music app, and mm-hmm. you couldn't follow shows or keep track of your progress in an episode. You'd have to go and find it every single time, every single week. They're bringing that into the podcast app. 
So you'd be able to follow the, oh, the really? music radio shows directly from your podcast and presumably, you know, it will have all the same features of, you know, progress tracking and syncing across devices and everything. So that's actually an improvement. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. You should write about that so people like us learn. I think Zach did. Oh, did he? Oops. Yeah, I think so. I need to get my old co-host back. Clearly better. <laughs> <laughs> what did you write about though this week? I wrote about Goldman Sachs and Apple. The partnership that led to the Apple card, but apparently has been a very unhappy marriage for Goldman Sachs. So the Wall Street Journal reported, I think on Monday, or last Friday actually, that Goldman Sachs is in talks with American Express about transferring its Apple partnership. So Goldman would be off the hook for maintaining Apple Card, Apple Card savings account, and Apple Pay later. And if this deal goes through, then it would be entirely backed by Amex instead. Uh, The Wall Street Journal said Apple is aware of the talks, but it's unclear if they would approve any transfer, which apparently they have the right to do based on their agreement with Goldman. Which they renewed recently, right? Yeah. It was at the end of last October. They agreed an extension, I believe, through the end of the decade or something. 2029. Yeah, Yeah. So they obviously weren't. I mean, obviously, Goldman Sachs is having a lot of um, internal company turmoil and their consumer division hasn't gone quite as expected. But clearly, at the end of last year, they were like bigging Apple up as like the success story of the, of the consumer division. And now, I guess, management has clamped down and been like, yeah, we're just getting out of this altogether. So uh, we know we agreed with you, but we're going to see if we can find someone else to take over. Yeah. yeah, like you said, the Goldman has scaled back. Basically, when Apple Card launched, I think they wanted to use it as a big push into consumer finance after really just being like investment banking and that side of the finance industry. But since then they've scaled back like their Marcus brand, which is personal loans and some other things. And then their only other consumer credit card is one with general motors. And that's also something they're looking to transfer to Amex this year, along with Apple card. But I mean, they also have said that Apple card with Apple Card, they've lost over a billion dollars. I mean, I don't blame them for wanting to get out of the business. But at the same time, why would Amex take on something that's such a massive loss? They haven't made it exactly sound like an appealing partnership. I be- I could be wrong about this. And I did do an economics degree, but I'm not like a finance expert anymore. Um, I think when you're doing like a consumer products thing, like you take on the quote-unquote loss up front. And then over time, it like amortizes out to the point where you don't make losses anymore. So I think the idea is that like, if you give it a long enough track record, as you build up a base of creditors, at some point, the the, the, like risk reward of the portfolio evens out. And so then you only make money, essentially. So like all the big credit card companies, um, you know, they have so many users that defaults or issues are averaged out with other people that do have, you know, debt that they're repaying at high interest rate or that the money on the account is getting invested and they can make the money back. So like I presume when Goldman Sachs did these models in 2016 to get into this thing with Apple uh, or 2019, they thought about that stuff and they must have a plan at some point that they're actually going to be, you know, quote unquote profitable on it. But until that happens, they can take these. And I, I don't want to call them like straight losses. They're like, you know, recorded losses on the on the, right. on the on the financial statements. So, you know, they're not physically losing all that money, but it helps them offset costs and blah, 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 blah. And that's a, you know, an approximation, but it's something like that. 
And so, yeah, it's not like the, if somebody else took over, they they not like facing immediate like billion dollar charge, but like it's a at the moment the business is a billion dollars negative, and eventually it will be you know a billion dollars a year positive. So if somebody else wants to take it over, they obviously take the short term risk for the potential long term gain, which is naturally probably what Goldman Sachs thought they were going to be able to sustain. And then you know the overall business and, and their real co- like company strategy has pivoted away from it. So now they're just like we we can't even bother to wait anymore. We just we just get rid of this stuff because the Goldman offer like the Apple Card like rate or whatever is you know it's good and it's not but it's not like so insane that I that, I, that these customers on the Apple Card will never be profitable in in the aggregate right like mm-hmm. eventually it'll work out. Um, but it is true that the Apple Card is customer favorable because I mean that's how Apple. Pushed yes. it, right it's like no fees no fees no fees obviously unless you have an interest rate on a, of a balance to pay off um so other cards that launch with fees up front will you know naturally make more money immediately um but i think the offer that apple has here with the cash back as it is and even though there's no fees i think at some point you would you know you would have a a, a pool of apple card users that's big enough that it would make sense financially it's just probably not happened quite yet and they did have some out of the gate stumbling blocks where they may be misjudged and and misapproved some, you know, portion of people that couldn't really afford it, and et cetera, et cetera. But those those issues, they they minimize as the overall number of people using it get larger and larger eventually. It seems like Goldman came out of the gate just way too hot, like you said, with approving the wrong people. In a regulatory filing, they said that more than a quarter of their card loans have gone to people with credit scores below six sixty. Whereas Chase, I think it was 12% have gone to below 660 and Bank of America is like 4% mm-hmm. or something like that. So they just approved way too many people. And that's something Goldman Sachs CEO, David Solomon, he said that they just came out of the gate too hot and took on more than they could handle. And it could just be that Goldman's consumer finance infrastructure is just not set up in a way where they can get themselves out of this mess. Whereas if they transferred it and got out of the deal with somebody like Amex, Amex is more established in consumer finance and can kind of right the ship. Well, like with with Amex, for instance, they can just incorporate the, you know, 2 million Apple Card users directly into their pool of existing, you know, people on their books. Like there are yeah. customers that are in the tens of millions. And so the losses can be more, like obviously they're still taking on the losses, but like it, it can be absorbed into the overall big, you know, big bundle. Whereas Goldman is directly exposed to those 2 million customers at the current rates. And what's weird too on the timeline is that, what was it in April? Goldman Sachs launched Apple Card Savings Account and Apple Pay later, both with Apple, even though I would assume that at at that standpoint, they were at least considering trying to get out of the partnership. But if you signed a deal like the end of last year, extended to 2029, you are on the hook. So like you can't just not yeah. do it just because you're thinking about trying to shift it. Like based on these conversations, um, you know, Apple still has final approval. And if the transfer happens, which makes sense because they signed a deal with Goldman Sachs. Um, uh, so like at some point, those that knot has to be untied. And so until they can find a they can find a buyer essentially for the debt, uh, they have to keep offering the services that they promised. Right. right? Yeah. I've been wondering if this is kind of an instance of Apple wanting to enter a business and looking for a company that they knew also didn't have a whole lot of experience in this industry and who they could kind of shape the narrative and shape the product more so than if they had gone to Amex 
right at the start and yep. tried to launch Apple Card with Amex from the beginning. You know, like Goldman Sachs was kind of naive when they went into the partnership because we know from other situations that Apple, a partnership with Apple is not so much a partnership, but more of Apple telling you what to do. And Goldman was really interested in getting into the consumer finance space. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, it's just, it's, there's a lot of parallels to AT&T and the original iPhone, right? Where, like, yeah. um, AT&T was worried that BlackBerry was going to take over the entire market and they didn't have a compare. And they, here came the iPhone and Apple was like, look, we've been to every other carrier. They want us to be under these, you know, this book of rules and these regulations and they want us to do X, Y, and Z. Here's the deal. You don't see the phone. You know, we'll work with you on the networking stack at the lowest level, and that's about it. You handle the network, we'll handle the phone. And uh, at that time, Singular became AT&T, uh, took the risk on them. And obviously, it, it did pay off, but they also took on many years of headaches with, like, data being extremely high. You know, it killed yeah. the AT&T in network in the early years. You know, like 2007, 2010, AT&T got a terrible reputation for every <laughs> customer because their network started going down constantly, and the iPhone couldn't, you know, the iPhone was so big, the network couldn't really handle it. Um, but obviously, they came out the other end advantageous. It just took a long time. Uh, this is a very similar deal where, like, Apple probably had negotiations with other, you know, with other credit card financiers and other banks, mm-hmm. and they couldn't get the terms they wanted, which was clearly a no fees card. That's what they wanted to promote. That's when they wanted to push. Um, and Goldman was like, "Yeah, we'll do it." <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> again, maybe a bit naively. Um, yeah, but I think in some ways, you know, when when um, Goldman did say, like, the Apple partnership is going well and we love them. Like, I do think that's, that wasn't just, like, PR speak. That was partly true. And the overall consumer products division has been a flop for them outside yeah. of the Apple card. The Apple card hasn't mm-hmm. been a resounding success. You know, that they do have a billion dollars on the books. So, like, you know, that's a problem. Um, but it wasn't, like, a thing where it was, like, this is a disaster and it's been very popular and, you know, had a lot of uptake and... They wouldn't have renewed last year if it was a disaster. Like, it's just not, it's just not what happens. But what's happened, like operationally at the highest levels is that management has lost faith in the idea of Goldman Sachs doing consumer products. They're like, okay, we're just going to get out of the whole thing if we can. Um, and obviously that means the Apple card's kind of wrapped up in, into that, which is the risk that Apple took on when they worked with a new upstart, right? Because there was always the risk that they weren't going to be available long-term. Um, but I think if you're in Apple's shoes, you're kind of insulated, right? Like they yeah. they signed a contract last year that requires these services to exist in 2029. So either they keep offering the services or Apple will sue them, right? And then something will happen and they'll get some massive payout or something. Like, obviously, Apple would prefer it if it, there was stability in their products and they wouldn't have to do this stuff. Uh, but I think Apple kind of took the right move. Like, you saw what they did with um, the Apple Card, uh, sorry, Apple Pay Later. They took on more of the risk themselves because mm-hmm. when you're using Apple Pay Later, the money that you're loaning is coming directly out of the Apple bank account, right? The yeah. Goldman Sachs situation with Apple Pay with the Apple credit card is that the balances of the credit card loans are not on Apple's books, they're on Goldman's books. So, you know, Apple has enough money. If they had enough expertise and enough talent on on the team, they could have run the credit card themselves. They could have made themselves a bank. They could have gone through all that regulatory mess and they could have done it if they really, really wanted to. But they saw a shortcut where they're like, we don't want to bother with the regulatory requirements and why do we want to have the bother of being a bank? We'll just basically sub-license it off to Goldman Sachs and get the benefit because, you know, what is the card called? It's called the Apple card, not the Goldman Sachs mm-hmm. card, right? And, like, the Goldman Sachs logo isn't on the front. It's on the back of the card. Like, right. that, those, and that's part of the stuff that Apple had negotiating power for working with Goldman Sachs, where if you're working with someone like Amex originally, they probably would, like, require you to put the Amex logo on the front, for instance. You know, like, all this stuff, like... 
uh, is all things that are kind of in the same bucket. Um, and so now, several years on, Apple's in a position where, you know, if if um, Goldman Sachs is, is on the rocks and they don't want to be in this anymore, they can look at the business again. They can make a decision. Do they want to be, a reg- you know, get involved on the regulatory side of thing and become an officially licensed bank and offer the card directly? Clearly, they're not that interested if they just sold a five-year contract with them at the end of last year. Um, and so now it's up to Goldman. It's Goldman's problem, basically, to yeah. find another person that Apple would be happy to take over. Yeah, I wonder how many Apple Card users actually know that it's backed by Goldman Sachs. But And if you look at, too, the power that Apple has, Apple Card has had a few road bumps over the years. There was, right out of the gate, there was the thing about how credit limits may have been biased based on gender. Mm-hmm. And that's something that ended up being a whole regulatory mess for Goldman. And Goldman issued a whole bunch of statements and tried to clean up the mess. But Apple was nowhere to be found. They didn't say anything. It's the Apple card. But this time it was convenient to say, hey, this is a Goldman product. We're not involved in that side of the business. And then Goldman also had regulatory problems because of disputes. Apple card users said they weren't properly handling chargebacks and disputes and properly investigating things in a timely matter, which they're also now being investigated for. And with the savings account, Rule recently, oh, yeah, in complaints that people have requested to get their money out and they've been blocked because of um scam protection. And but then Goldman isn't adequately responding to the complaints to resolve yep. in actually getting people's money out. And those kind of support problems they do fall under the Goldman company, right? Like it's on their head mm-hmm. that they have to deal with it, but that does reflect on the Apple brand, right? Because how are you communicating with the Goldman Sachs representative? You're doing it through the Apple wallet app about the Apple card. So like that that yeah. does that does sour on Apple itself. So that part of it Apple does care about a lot, right? Like the 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 regulatory you know issues. Exactly. Is they can just like yeah. kick that off to the side and be like, you know what, like let the lawyers and go- let Goldman's lawyers deal with that rubbish, right? Like we don't have to worry about that. But the consumer facing stuff where people are getting, you know, mistreated and that is a that is an Apple issue, which is why they have oversight mm-hmm. ultimately on who Goldman sells to, right? Like because they're not gonna go to a partner they think is going to be bad. Um and the those part and maybe, you know, if they do switch to Amex, which is more established, it has a bigger team behind it in terms of customer support and everything. Maybe eventually when this transition does happen, for the customers, assuming that all of the deals on the actual card remain the same, the the customer support experience might be even better than it was before, like when, yeah. this, when this all you know eventually shakes out, which would be a positive. A lot of people, based on the response to our story on this, they don't seem particularly thrilled with the idea of Apple Card becoming an Amex product. I think it's just a lot of people have preconceived notions about what Amex is and that they're a higher end, harder to get approved, typically credit card company. But there's also the issue of Amex isn't as widely accepted as MasterCard, which is what Apple Card is. Can you still have like the Apple Card managed by American Express, but it's using a MasterCard? Like, I think that's technically possible. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Amer- but... American Express wouldn't love it, but like. Because Amex fees on the merchants are higher than MasterCard, which is why some merchants don't accept Amex, but also why Amex might want Apple Card to convert to its platform. The other benefit that Apple really gets from Apple Card, too, is the 0% financing on literally any Apple product, which basically allows people who might not otherwise be able to afford a new iPhone to buy an iPhone and finance it over, I think, 24 months. 
And for Goldman, that's got to kind of be a nightmare in a lot of situations where people don't pay that back. There's no interest. There's no late fees. So it all just kind of sits on Goldman's books. So that's while Apple, on the other hand, gets the benefit of boosted iPhone revenue, iPhone sales based on those people who otherwise wouldn't buying new products. Yeah, it's pretty lopsided. (laughs) Yeah, I see like two outcomes, which is either Apple works with Goldman Sachs to make the partnership more sustainable, which is probably could involve change to Apple Card. Or Apple lets Goldman Sachs out of the agreement, probably makes them pay a whole bunch of like breakup fees or Mm -hmm. whatever. Then Apple Card moves to Amex, which also brings like changes and a potential headache for the user. So either way, I feel like changes are coming to Apple Card. Yeah, I think Apple is in a decent spot because they did sign the contract uh, at the end of last year. And so presuming the contract's pretty watertight and you know Apple's lawyers are pretty mm-hmm. good, uh, the the services rendered that you see on the user-facing side are probably pretty reasonably protected just based on that contract agreement, at least through 2029, yeah. right? And there may be longer term. It gets a bit more hairy. But um, I, I would be somewhat optimistic about this and like you mm-hmm. know, maybe they end up making a deal with somebody else but right now they're in talks with Amex and we'll see, we'll see what happens um, like I would be very shocked if the deals that Apple made allow Goldman to like offload the thing and suddenly make it really really bad do you know what I mean like it's good oh, like, yeah. there's, there's a minimum bar that's agreed in that contract uh, maybe you know interest rates go up or there's some other you know maybe some other little fees can be introduced in some places but like Otherwise, the the raw product will probably stay the same. Would be my guess. Um, it is an interesting yeah. and funny scenario. Just before we move off the Apple Car topic, I will mention the big elephant in the room for all of us international people. Mm-hmm. So, yep. You know, the Apple Car launched twenty nineteen. It's been many many years. There's still basically no evidence that they have any interest in launching it in other countries. Which is the one country where it does look like they have. A decent amount of interest is India. Mm, I think there was yeah. a story about that recently, but India is complicated that, because, like, they have regulations about what, and because they have a lot of um, fraud, they have special regulations mm. about what cards can even be accepted. And very okay. recent, I think in the last year or so, basically ninety nine percent of the payment methods you could use with the Apple services in India got cut off. So, like, people in oh. India are having a big problem actually paying for Apple services in India, even when they want to because a lot of the options have been removed. Um, and so there's only very specific couple of cards or something you're allowed to use now to buy stuff in India. It's a very weird scenario. Um, but I've seen people on like Twitter complain about it and stuff because they're like getting cut off from services they want to use, but they literally can't. And so one of the reasons that Apple seemingly wants to launch an Apple card there is they can launch a properly licensed and regulated option that they can use to for people to buy their own services. <laughs> yeah. With. And it might, and because it probably have the Apple Card brand, but it might not even have like all the same features or like the same offers. Yeah. It will just be like, here's the Apple, car, you know, credit card option for India. Um, it doesn't necessarily, you know, rates, merchant fees, all other sort of stuff vary wildly across the world. So even if the Apple Card does launch in, let's say, the UK at some point, you're not going to get the same three percent cashback and Apple two percent on everything else. Mm-hmm. Like it's a different, it's a different kettle of fish altogether. Like in America, merchant fees are a lot higher than they are over here. So, like, credit cards over here, even, like, the ones with no fees, for instance, the the, the cashback you get is, like, 0.5% most of the time. Like... Oh, wow. Yeah. Because, the like, the reason people, the, you know, the reason Apple Card can exist at 3% and 2% is because they charge the merchants 2.5% or whatever for using the card in the first place. But in the UK, 
the merchant fees are much, much lower, maybe like 1% or something. Um, so if you're buying a card that doesn't have fees associated with it, your cashback options are are limited because, you know, they can never make money on it. That being said, I wish they would launch an Apple Card option here because, yeah. you know, it'd be good for things like the 0% financing or, you know, Apple Pay Later, all the same as account stuff. Like, even if the rates aren't identical, it would be nice to have it as an option. And, you know, I would use Do you have appropriate. Apple Card or rather Apple financing of any kind in the they, UK? Is, wasn't that Barclays for a while? It comes and goes. So for okay. a while, they had it through Barclays and it was 0%. I believe now they have it through some other company, but it's not 0%. It's like 10% ah, or something. Okay. But it, it's like weird. Like almost as like a holiday offer sometimes. They like bring 0% back and like take yeah. it away and like mess around with it. Um, the other thing that kind of gels into all of this narrative about everything we've been talking about the last 20 minutes is the project breakout stuff, right? Where Apple mm-hmm. is has increasing ambitions to bring all of their financial services in-house and take over it all themselves, at least in bigger and bigger ways. And we've already seen that start with Apple Pay Later, right, where they are the bank giving you the loan. Um, and everything points towards them taking over more and more responsibility going forward, uh, which may include them ultimately becoming a licensed bank to support a credit card themselves. But I think mm-hmm. I think the, the project breakout stuff is like a long-term goal. It's not like a thing that they're going to be able to turn around and deliver next year. So, you know, they, yeah. they agreed the Goldman Sachs contract through 2029, Maybe it's like, from 2030, we'll have everything in-house. But I think part of the reason they've reined in their partnerships with stuff like Barclay in the UK is they don't want to rely on external partners as much. And they're kind of like slowly drawing those deals to a close to take over more and more of it themselves. This story is exactly why, basically. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) This is what happens when it goes wrong. Um, I mean, obviously, Apple can take over something and fumble it so that's the risk but yeah you know they're generally pretty good when they when they do stuff in-house and you know you look at apple silicon they've obviously benefited greatly from doing that in-house and most things they've done you know maybe with some exceptions they generally do better than if they relied on other people so uh, they you know strategically they're probably pretty happy with the the long-term direction uh, but the the goldman sachs is a short-term problem and for goldman sachs like you said at the start it, ta- it can take a long time to turn a business like this profitable. And what's to stop Goldman Sachs from finally becoming profitable than Apple saying, we don't need you anymore. It's like 10 years of a partnership that's finally starting to turn out well for you. And then you get left at the curb by Apple. That's uh, just, the, that's the cost of doing business though, isn't it? Right? Like, yeah. That's the contract. Like, that's what it is. The same, again, take the parallels to the iPhone and AT&T. You know, Apple got the exclusive for them through 2012. And then they're like, well, the contract's over now. We're just going to give it to every carrier. And you have to mm-hmm. all fight amongst yourselves. And, and that's what that's business. That's just business. And Apple's, Apple's done well enough that they're always in the top just seat on, on the <laughs> table, you know. We'll see. I mean, I find this whole situation both funny and also just bizarre. But I'm hoping there's some more reporting about what exactly is happening here. But we'll see. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Every potential new hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available so you can make a decision with confidence. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people that you want to talk to faster and for free. LinkedIn is just so ubiquitous. My brother started his first job out of uni last year and I know that LinkedIn was one of the places that he went through to find work. Um, so go on LinkedIn Jobs at linkedin.com slash happy hour and create a free job post 
in just minutes. Making a post is really easy. You can get started with just the job title, description, place of work, and employment type. And you can also list the necessary skills that you're looking for. And when you add your job post, you can add the job and purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word even more to signal directly that you're hiring and boosting the reach across your personal network so they can help you connect to the right people. When you make the job post, you can add screening questions that filter and focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience for what you're looking for. So you can target the most qualified applicants and quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. And that's just some of the reasons why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs the number one job site in delivering quality hires compared to the leading competition. So find the right team member who can accelerate your business's growth. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash happy hour. That's linkedin.com slash happy hour to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring the show. All right. Mark Gurman in Power On last weekend had some new details on what's coming for future AirPods. More imminently is an updated case for AirPods Pro that uses USB-C for charging, which Garmin says would come probably alongside the iPhone 15 this fall. So you can upgrade your iPhone and upgrade your AirPods case and get pretty close to a lightning-free world. What will be left? AirPods Max. AirPods second generation? Third generation? Yeah, that's what I couldn't tell did german mention anything about airpods 3 he specifically said airpods pro yeah which is weird i feel like they have to be like making a whole new generation is obviously a bigger ordeal when they just did airpods 3 not too long ago but making a case with a different port on the bottom is not a big right. it's not a big problem like you know just like how they changed the when they changed the siri remote on the apple tv they also included it with the apple tv hd unchanged they can definitely change the cases that they're shipping with these things and just put a different port on the bottom. So it was curious that Mark specifically mentioned AirPods Pro, but like, surely the the base model AirPods 2 will also have a, a USB-C case this fall. Like, it's not, a, you know, Lightning versus USB-C, it's not a cost thing. It's just a practicality thing. They can ship them. They can make them. I think it's just hilarious that AirPods Pro, AirPods Pro 2 launched with Lightning to begin with. They should have been USB-C. And I don't know why they weren't, why Apple push this off another year because i mean they might make a little bit of money from selling USB-C charging cases to existing airpods pro users but it's also got to be a, like a logistical nightmare for them i don't think it's a money making thing i think it just design wise they match what's on the phone right so yeah airpods have uh, airpods have lightning because the iphone still has lightning this full the iphones will be going USB-C, so airpods will go USB-C. like it would be weirder. I, I think I know it's like awkward, but it would be weirder if they launched AirPods Pro two last year with a different port than the phone, because they've done it on other products, obviously. But it's a different thing when it's like the iPhone accessory, i.e., the AirPods have a randomly yeah. different port on the bottom than the phone that you're meant to connect them to. Like that's why that's what that's my explanation. I don't think it's a big money making thing for them. Like they're not. I don't think they're they're moving from Lightning to USB C because they want to make money off it. It's just not. It's, not, it's just not the goal. In many ways, they make more money if they stuck with Lightning longer term. But then, you know, they're being... I think they would move off Lightning eventually on on their own accord. But the current timeline of it happening with the iPhone 15 is a EU-driven decision. Um, which, I, which is an interesting question because, like, when Apple switched from 30-pin 
uh, to Lightning back in 2012, it was like mm-hmm. a big ordeal and everybody hated it. Like, is that going to happen again this time? I don't... I am undecided. I don't know. Like, some people are obviously looking forward to it because they want to have the same port that they use with their devices, but I still feel that's quite a tech-orientated perspective. Like, the common buyer of a phone... They only have an iPhone and they have like a Windows computer, right? Like that's still the most common mm-hmm. or that's the most common customer. It's not a like we always think of like the ecosystem, but like the most common customer has an iPhone, maybe AirPods, and then nothing else in terms of Apple products. Like iPad, Apple Watch, Mac, they're just so much further minimized in terms of quantity. So to them, switching from Lightning to USB C might be more of an inconvenience than a convenience. Like it, this fall, is there gonna be like all of the uproar about it that there was when there was the you know the lightning transition all that time ago. I'm, I'm, I haven't made my mind up where where I kind of land on. Yeah. That. Well, there's always going to be uproar, and there's always going to be people, certain crowds of people who are upset. And I can just picture like local news stations and kind of the non-tech focused news outlets posting this type of news on Facebook, and the comments are just going to be absolutely absurd with people criticizing Apple, saying it's a money grab, and. Like you said, the bigger context is that this is an EU thing. It was out of Apple's hands. And at least with this transition, it is to a standard, right? So like... Yeah, exactly. You can, I, I, part of the problem with the Lightning transition is you could only then buy MFI cables, which are more expensive. Like USB-C yeah. cables. You can get USB-C, char- USB-C charge cables so cheaply on the internet and stuff. So like they, they're a lot easier to come by and... I think it's a lot easier to like deflect the criticism if you're like, yeah, hey, here's a link to this random, yeah, you know, anchor cable or whatever that's four pounds versus the lightning twenty pound cable, which was the situation back in 2012. The iPhones this year are also rumored to have Qi two, so like basically more reliable MagSafe, not MagSafe, but sort of MagSafe. So the Qi standard will have mag- magnetic charging coils built in, and that's a narrative I think Apple will lean pretty heavily into which is USB-C for wired charging but also check this out Qi just got so much better there's a gigantic ecosystem of Qi chargers that you can buy so you don't even have to worry about plugging a cable into your phone anymore but I don't know how many of those iPhone and PC users that you are referring to actually use wireless charging right now doesn't seem like it's the majority yeah maybe like 10% that would be my guess could be wrong I mean, like ten percent of all cust of all iPhone customers wirelessly charge. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's slightly higher than that, but like, not. I don't think it's like thirty percent. You know? Yeah. I, I don't, don't wirelessly charge think... in all cases. <laughs> yeah. Not for any like, like I don't mind wireless charging. I just have a load of wires around, so I guess I just carry on using the wires. Like, uh, I don't know. yeah. The biggest time I still use a wire for charging is when I'm like traveling and using an external battery pack. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm pretty much exclusively wireless charging nowadays. Then German also had some details on what Apple is doing for AirPods in terms of hearing health. So German says Apple is working on a hearing test feature that will play different tones and sounds to allow AirPods to determine how well a person can hear. So the idea here is that this would help people kind of screen themselves for hearing issues sort of like how the ECG app on the Apple Watch can do the same for your heart health or the blood oxygen sensor can kind of give you proactive information, but it can't actually diagnose anything. 
so you can use the hearing test feature on AirPods to get a big picture, look at your overall health, and then decide yourself if you need to go to an actual hearing doctor. I don't know what they're actually called, but and get further testing and maybe look into some some treatment options. Yeah, this this makes sense. You can imagine how this is quite readily possible, right? Like we've all done yeah. those stupid things on like YouTube where you play those tones that are like super high frequency and then like old people can't hear them. Like yeah. just that, but productized to like a point where it's like actually useful, you know? And then it can be like, you should go and get, you know, this checked out with a doctor or something. And then they can go off and do it. And then if, if it turns out that someone was going to go deaf and now they're not going to go deaf anymore, then Apple can write a nice little headline for it and then someone will yeah. post about it. Like It's just like an easy PR win feature because in the cases where it diagnoses a problem and there's not actually a problem, those stories just disappear, right? So like it's it's a night... And, and obviously Apple can be... You know, Apple's pretty good at doing these algorithms so they can make it relatively mm-hmm. correct, right? So like 95% of the time it would be accurate and then they get all the positive from it and the 5% of the time where it's inaccurate and tells people they need to go and get a checkup and then it's fine, those things just kind of disappear in the background. Like, this is a feature that is not going to sell AirPods, right? It's just like a nice thing they can, no. they can offer. Uh, longer, longer term, Apple obviously has interest in making, like, health sensors directly integrated with the buds. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, Germans are this for a while now, like body temperature via the ear canal. So you, they have a temperature sensor on the Apple Watch. Um, but you can probably get a more accurate reading if you go via the ear. Um, and so there's been a lot of rumors for a while. Like for a while, it was like, this is going to be a feature of AirPods Pro 2. And then that, you know, disappeared. But like, clearly they're working for a future AirPods generation that they'll be able to measure your body temperature uh, just by having an earbud in, which is kind of cool. But a software-based sound test, go for it, you know, put it in settings or whatever, and then people can try it out. Yeah. And it will help some people. They already have the AirPods Live Listen feature which lets you kind of listen in on conversations via your AirPods. I think it uses the iPhone as the microphone. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So you like put your iPhone down and then yeah. your, your AirPods hear what your iPhone hears. There's a world in which Apple is able to market the AirPods as some sort of hearing aid kind of certified technology. Because I think there have been some changes regulatory, regulatory wise in the U.S. that allow you to sell that time, that kind of stuff over the counter without a prescription or going to an actual doctor. So it's the perfect time for Apple to lean into turning AirPods into more of a hearing health product. It's relatively recent, and I think it's designed mainly to make these types of products cheaper. I mean, Apple's always, though, so hesitant to market things as able to diagnose or help with diagnosed conditions. So they'll probably walk the same tightrope that they always have, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. I didn't know about the, the regulatory change there. Then German also says that Apple is working on a new Mac monitor that will double up as a smart home display when it's not in use in some sort of low power mode. So basically, this sounds like standby on the iPhone, but in a standalone display. Maybe that's an updated version of the studio display. And German says that this external display also like the studio display, would be powered by an Apple Silicon device chip inside. The studio display has the A13 chip right now, but I guess whatever comes next would have a different chip, and it would also have to have things like Wi-Fi because you'd Mm. want the smart display to show specific information, whether that's like the weather, the news, your smart home devices. So it seems weird that Apple didn't just do this with the studio display and add wi-fi to that 
And this is something German even says is, what did he say, next year at the earliest? Yeah. So we'll see when it actually launches. Yeah, with the studio display, I was surprised there was no, like, feature that took advantage of it being an A13 chip. Because remember when they had the event and they were like, and here's the studio display, and it's powered by the A13 chip. It's like, ooh, and then they're like... Well, there is a feature. It's the center stage feature that everybody hates. Yeah, but, like, you know what I mean, like... Yeah, they could have yeah. done center stage without it being an A13 chip, you know. Like it's just that was just an easy way for them to do it with the same firmware that they ship on the iPad. Like it's like they were, but they like made a big deal about it in in the in that studio keynote in March. They were like, "Here's the yeah. display, and it's powered by Apple Silicon with the A13 chip, <laughs> which at the time was like the faster chip than like what the Apple yeah. TV had in it, right? Like it was like the A13 chip is like relatively recent." And they were like, and it powers the spatial audio speakers and the camera. Like, I kind of thought it was like an easy win for them to be like, and it will like be an airplay target or something, right? Even if it only worked when like a computer was plugged into it. Because yeah, obviously it'd be better if it had standalone Wi-Fi. But like, you can imagine if it's like got a laptop plugged into it and it's like turned off, it can still appear as like an airplay target when it's when the laptop yeah. is asleep and it just uses mm-hmm. the network that's connected to the computer. Or and then if it had dedicated Wi-Fi, it could do that when it's completely unplugged and the laptop was no near it. Um, so it's kind of a miss that they didn't do anything in that regard. Um, so here, which is presumably the second generation studio display, it's at least um, interesting that they are now pursuing something more in terms of an active feature for the Apple Silicon chip. I do think it is slightly wacky though. Like, yeah, a smart home display does not normally sit in the same place that you put like your Mac monitor, right? Like a smart home display is usually not 27 inches. Yeah. (laughs) That's the other thing. Uh, So like generally when people think of smart home displays, they think of stuff that goes on like their bedside nightstand or it goes in the kitchen and it shows timers and weather and recipes and stuff. This feature of like, oh, we'll just, and it, you know, I guess they've got the standby thing on the phone, which clearly is, you know, almost ready to go in another product that is just a standard display. Um, but it does kind of feel in the reign of like when um, Tim Cook like joked that they should that they wouldn't make like a toaster fridge because it doesn't make any sense. Like <laughs> this is kind of like that because it's like all the stuff that standby does. It's like a if you've got a Mac monitor, a lot of the time there's a computer plugged into it, so it's mm-hmm. not really in standby that often. If it is in standby, it's often in standby mode with the connected computer, right? So like the computer is asleep; it doesn't really need dedicated yeah. hardware in it. So the use cases seem pretty limited. And then you have the physical thing of it being in a room where you generally don't put smart displays. Because if you're going to check the weather in your office, you're probably just going to look at your laptop that's in front of you already. So, like, right. it's a bit weird. Um, and so maybe it's just, like, really downscaled. Like, it's unplugged and it can be an airplay target and it shows the weather in, like, a dim mode. and like, But it's just, like, a nice little add-on rather than, like, a premiere feature and calling it like a smart maybe apple wouldn't call it like a smart display option yeah. it would just be like a little bonus for when the when the when the monitor is always off. on screen like an always on screen that's like really yeah. subtle yeah um but it's not going to be a product that can like supplant an actual smart speaker with a screen like that's still a separate product but if only apple had like a tablet sized device that could be moved around and act as a smart display if only they had something that was basically Hmm. in that product category but and it could almost run the same operating system that the yeah. phone does with standby mode right and so then they could just put it on there but uh, as we know ipad os 18 will have standby mode <laughs> yeah 
Look, 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 all the iPad engineers, they're really they still got to catch up with a lot yeah. of different features. Look, they can only do one thing at a time. I think more so than an external like studio display, what German describes here makes more sense on an iMac. Because mm. the iMac is what Apple spins as like the living room computer. I mean, they have marketing images of it in a kitchen, like, and it's always like on display at businesses and that seems more like the target product for a smart home style display if Apple's going to do it in something that's 24, 27 inches big, you know? Yeah, 100%. They just seem to have the wrong idea about where these sort of smart display features should go. I, th- uh, I mean, I think they're still working on like other yeah. stuff and this isn't like the, the, the answer from them. Like there'll be a HomePod with a screen in some form, right? That you can actually put in your kitchen. This is, I yeah. think... I'm not saying Mark Gurman's lying. It's just the way that it's written, it no. kind of hypes it up to be like a, this is the feature when really it's probably just like, you know, when it's switched off, it shows the time and the weather. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it's a much more scale back thing um, than what a headline yeah. kind of summarizes it as. Uh, so that's kind of how I'm approaching it at the moment. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, and maybe it does run the same software is standby but it's just in a more limited form because like part of the reason that stand like standby on the phone is like um expects touch input and stuff you can like swipe around it you can dismiss notifications mm, and all sorts of all sorts of things and that would apply to if they did do like a smart speaker because they will have touch screens they're not going to put a touch screen on this external display right so like it i, I, I kind of get the, the sense that this is like an overhyped feature in terms of how it comes out in a leak you know and then when it actually ships it'd be like and when it's turned off rather than it being completely black it's like an always on display where you can see the time and the weather and there you go you know like the biggest reason i want something like this is for like home kit control like being able just to tap on tiles and control different accessories and that wouldn't be possible if it was built into a, a mac or an external display Without a touchscreen. The use cases are... You're basically limiting it just to showing information. Because if you're going to interact with the mouse or the trackpad or the keyboard, you might as well just, like, use the Mac, you know? I don't get this, but I think, like you said, it's probably not as big of a thing as maybe what we're hearing right now. This isn't a direct parallel, but... um, AppNap, right? Remember that feature? Where it's like your laptop no. will like do updates when it's asleep. Power nap, that's oh, what it's called. Power nap, right? Yeah, that yeah. was leaked before it was officially announced too. And it was like your computer will be alive when it's asleep and it will do all <laughs> these things for you. And like, but then you know when Apple introduced it, they were just like, yeah, and we have this power nap mode and it will refresh your email when the laptop's asleep. It's, do you know what I mean? Like it's like a different yeah, scale it's... of like what you imagine, and the reality is like a lot more toned back. This kind of feels in that kind of range mm-hmm. at least right now. And finally, a couple of iPhone 15 rumors. So first, a new rumor from Weibo says that the iPhone 15 Pro exclusive color is going to be crimson or like a deep red. So this 9to5Mac, we first reported this in February, and this is now a second source kind of backing it up. But I think most notably, the this is the same source that also accurately predicted the 14 Pro would be available in deep purple and that the, what was it, the 13 Pro would be available in Pacific Blue. Is that what it's called? The light blue color? Mm. So this seems, everything's aligning towards crimson being the color. And I like it. I don't know about you, but I think it's gorgeous. 
I probably I I I'd like it. I wouldn't choose it. I'm, I'm very boring. Really? I'd choose black, but uh, okay. I, I for, based on our renders, I I it's, I prefer it to the purple. Let me put it that way. Not that there's anything against the purple. I'm just very like boring when it comes to colors. Like blues yeah. and blacks are kind of like the ex- the extent that I'll go to. I think I'm partially just biased because where I went to college, IU, it, the color was crimson. Like cream and crimson was like the logo, the stand, the the slogan. So a crimson iPhone, I will absolutely buy that. I had a crimson like um, uniform at primary school. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you gotta you gotta do this then. We were like crimson Keep the consistency. Yeah. Uh, this rumor also says that the standard iPhone 15 will be available in, what is it, Mint and what's the other one? Pink, isn't it? Pink, yeah. So this is in addition to what we reported in February for the standard 15. So it's a blue, a green, and a pink. And obviously, I think there'll be a couple other options, but those three are what have le- leaked so far. Pink? They should 100% do. Like It looks cool. It looks cool. And so many people I talk to, like my mom, she's like, I want a new iPhone. Does it come in pink? And I'm like, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's just a highly demanded color. Like It they, is. It, every year, um, I like to talk to someone, they're like, can you get a pink iPhone? I'm like, no. I was like, oh, well, you can get this like baby mm-hmm. purple color. I was like, oh, maybe, you know, like. <laughs> Oh, you can get these gold. It's like, blah, blah, blah. People, like people want pink. It's just a reality, and uh, it seems like they're finally going to deliver. Yeah, these colors based. Some of these colors are just mock-ups, but some of them are based on like color shade maps that the sources have have posted. So the the iPhone 15 and iPhone 15 Plus colors, they kind of had like a neon feel to them, almost. You know, yeah. like very bright and vibrant. And the 15 Pro Crimson is still dark and very deep red, but Maybe eventually they'll make bright colors on the Pro models, but... To see them even offer a color that's not black or silver with a brand new finish, I'm pretty happy with that because the Apple Watch in titanium has always been, what do they call it, like space black and natural, yeah. I think is what they... And making a titanium iPhone in anything other than those two is is a win in my book. The Apple Watch Ultra is titanium, right? I'm not making that. Up. Yes, and it's like yeah, I think they color. call it natural. Yeah, natural like only. Silver. They don't even offer the dark color at the moment. No, nope. Then also on iPhone 15, we have some leaked battery capacity numbers, which they sound pretty good. The numbers show the iPhone 15 at around 18% bigger, the 15 Plus at 14% bigger, the 15 Pro at 14% bigger. And the Pro Max at eleven percent bigger, so those aren't those aren't small year over year increases. Yeah, that's pretty decent. Um, the Pro Max is almost at five thousand milliamp hours, which is crazy, and so is the fifteen plus actually. So that'll be a big boost, hopefully, because I don't my battery life on the fourteen Pro Max is terrible. Yeah, it sucks. I, I don't think the fourteen the fourteen Pro batteries are very good. Like they're not they're not awful, but they're not as good as they used to be. Like on the 13 or the 12 maybe you know um so yeah i I, i'd welcome some extra battery obviously you can't just evaluate battery life based on battery capacity sizes it's a whole like you know big equation with the performance required the power draw all the components the displays but at some level if you have more battery capacity you can offer more battery right so this is a pretty promising sign and we do know that this year the a17 chip which will be Mm -hmm. in the 15 pro models um, will be manufactured with a 
smaller three nanometer fabrication process compared to five nanometers in the current a16 and a15 and a14 chips and whenever the fabrication size gets smaller it generally leads to a more efficient design um sometimes apple mm-hmm. you know spends all of the efficiency gain just in raw performance so they like equal it out but generally when you make a fab size smaller um it generally allows you to boot performance and keep the efficiency about the same as the old chip so Combine yeah. that with a ten percent increase in the actual battery itself. That mm-hmm. that's loading up. You know, that's easily like one or two hours extra on the battery on on battery usage per day. So. Yeah, I mean, the best way I can put it is like, there's never been a situation where I wish my fourteen was faster or had better performance. But there's been infinite number of situations where I've wished it had like two extra hours of battery life to get me through the end of a travel day or something. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, the always on display on the like the fourteen Pro series. Yeah, doesn't feel like they quite account for that in the battery <laughs> calculation for that for that. Model. Yeah, like, and I know people have done like tests where you can like turn it off and it gets you like nine percent more like across the whole day or whatever. But like nine percent is like decent. that's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's the same increase we're talking about right here, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true, actually. So yeah, like <laughs> bring it on. Um, I, I, yeah, I think whatever. Whatever calculus they use to determine their overall battery capacities per year, they misjudged it slightly on the 14 Pro models yeah. at least. I wonder if USB-C will let them charge faster. So, Because the bigger battery is going to take longer to charge. So if USB-C can charge faster and you get better battery life, then it's I kind of the perfect storm. I, I think Lightning can support even faster charging speeds. It's just the other circuitry in the battery, like the power management stuff, has never been upgraded. Uh-huh. So, like, I don't think the port is the limiting factor there. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously, if if you do have, you know, you can, you, the USB-C can go up to, like, 100 watts. I don't think Lightning can go up to 100, but it can go up to, like, 50 or something, do you know? And right now, yeah. it maxes out at, like, 30. So, uh, it's up to them to, like, offer fastest charging speeds if they want to. But there's, like, trade-offs there with battery chemistry and degrading the battery quicker and all that and all that shenanigans and you know in a lot of things apple is quite conservative in specs right so like especially battery health after, yeah i mean they've been burned you know. several times over on on that subject so you can see why they don't push it too much like some android phones like you have a hundred watt fast charging for 30 <laughs> minutes or something like insane and to be fair i don't think it like causes the batteries to, like burn out wherever you don't hear loads of like people complaining about it but clearly, it's a higher risk than if you're only ever offering a battery that can charge at like 20 watts or whatever. So, I mean, it's the scale of the iPhone. If Apple has a hundred watt, if Apple can charge an iPhone at a hundred watts and one iPhone catches on fire, it's a problem. Then that's a problem. Yeah. All right. I think that does it for this week. You can find us in Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe, leave us a review and a rating. And also find an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. If you have feedback, you can send it to us at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. I think we're going to do some more Ask9to5Mac next week. So if you have questions, use that hashtag on Twitter Twitter. or email (laughs) them to us. Yeah, I don't know about Twitter, but (laughs) I don't think Threads doesn't support hashtags yet, so... Email them no, to us or us, find... Email us, yeah. whatever you want. Just send us a question. There you go. Get us your questions. And so I guess I'm on now Threads, Twitter, Instagram, and Mastodon at Chance H. Miller. I think that's all of them. <laughs> and Mayo, 
Where are you? Uh, I guess right now I'm on Twitter, Threads, and Macedon at BZMA. All right. I'll find you there.